The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Hey everybody, my name is Justin and I have the honor of being one of our directors here. Story City Church exists to, exists to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and people. Today, we are continuing our, se- our series entitled, The Father's Heart. It- it's going to challenge us in-, in what it means to be lost. It's going to challenge us in, in our view of sin, and-, and, it's going to- and it's going to shape our view of salvation. I-, I just want to say a quick prayer and invite you guys in. Lord, would you help us see you? God, would you help us? Find our identity as your children. God, would you speak now so that we may come into the presence and know the Father's voice. In your holy name, amen. Hey, before we get into the bulk of a message and everything, I want you to know exactly where we're going from the get-go. So if you're not going to remember anything else, you can go ahead and remember this. The Father loves when we choose him. The Father loves when we choose him. It's easy for us to read ourselves into stories, isn't it? How many of you guys, when you watch a movie or you're reading a book, you immediately start thinking, who do I relate with? What, what character am I? And, oh, my friend's that person, and that's totally our group. Like, how many times? It's almost natural for us to read ourselves into stories. In fact, many stories are created to do just that. They're created for us to put ourselves into it. It's what, it's, it's what can make a story come alive. And many times in Scripture, specifically to the parable that was just read, it's no different. There was an intended audience when Jesus was telling the story. There was an intended audience, and, and, and the characters inside of it, the older brother, the younger brother, the father, they're all representative of somebody that's in the community that he's telling the story to. However, what we have to be careful of, even though this story is entitled The Prodigal Son, it, it, what we have to be careful of is not to, to, to take the characters and make it as if that's the main point of the story. The main point of the parable, the main point of the story, the, the main character is God. It's the Father. It's okay, to give you permission, it's okay that we read ourselves into the characters. In fact, that's what Jesus intended us to do, so long as it's subsequent to the fact that we acknowledge that what the point of the story is for us to learn about the character of the Father. So Jesus is going to tell a story. He's going to use the, the, the situations of the younger son and the older brother to draw out the character of the Father. And that's what I want us to focus on as we learn the story of the, of the, of the children, of the two brothers. Let us see ourselves. Let us see the, what, what is part of us in the eyes of the Father. The Father loves when we choose him. The younger son approaches his father one day and he asks for his inheritance. We need to understand the gravity of this request. 
One only receives their inheritance when the patriarch dies. The son is saying, Father, I wish you were dead so that I could have what is coming to me. When he approaches the father and he says, I want my portion of the inheritance, he's saying, Dad, I don't care about you. I only care about what you can give me. I wish so much so that I could have that stuff now that it'd be better off if you died today so that I can have my stuff. He, wa- he wants what the father has for himself. This isn't just disrespectful. He is, he is doing this out of sin. This isn't just a selfish request. This is a sinful request. This is representative of a sinful heart inside of the son. We see it later as he approaches the father, as he rehearses his speech, and as he begins to deliver his speech to the father. He says, against heaven and earth have I sinned. So this is coming from a sinful place, and to enact it is a sinful act. It's more than just disrespect. Oh, dad, I just, I care more about the money. No, dad, I wish you were dead, that I could have what is mine. In this moment, the father could have disowned the son. He could have easily said, you wish I was dead? You're dead to me. Get out of here. He could have disowned the son. He could have sent him away. But instead, the father does something crazy, and he grants the request. I can't imagine the pain that the father is going through. I can't imagine having your child tell you face to face, I wish you were dead. I can't imagine the years of love and care that the father has given his child, how much of himself he had imparted upon his son for his son to turn to him and not just say, I value what you can give me over over you, but to say, I wish you were dead. I can't imagine what, it's, what it would be like to be the father in that moment. And yet, the father takes it. And he does something and it's crazy. And he grants the request. Now, this request is much more, much more than disrespect. This request is watching a father watch his son choose death and choose separation. It's humiliating for the father that a son would even think that he has the position to make such a request in such a patriarchal system and community. This no doubt uh, insulted the father to the community and the community looked less upon the dad. How could you do that? Why would you even allow your son to do that? You're a bad dad. Not only that, but to understand, in order for us to, to understand the, 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 this request of the father, we have to understand the sacrifice that this, the, that this father made, not just in his standing in the community, because it's easy for us to think, oh, I just want some of that inheritance. And it's easiest for, for us to think that the father just had a large bank account, and so he just wrote the son a check and just said, okay, fine, here's your money, you can go. But... This inheritance is in the land. We see it written in the text. Everything that the father owns, his wealth, his money, is in the property. 
It's in that physical land that he owns. It's in the cattle. It's in whatever they have on that property, the animals. So in order for the father to grant the inheritance request, it means that the father has to give up what he's been working hard for. What he's been toiling over. Maybe it's what he inherited from his dad. Maybe it's what he built from nothing. What he had in his mind. One day I'm going to pass this off to my children. I'm going to build. This land is the father's identity. It's a part of who he is. And he has to go sell it. And he has to, so that he can get a profit. And then from those earnings, he then would give to the younger son. It said, that's why he said it took some time. And then he had to sell it off. And divide it amongst the brothers so that he could give to the son. So not only is it, it, did he take a, a community blast of being a bad dad, he also took a personal sacrifice in order, in order to give this to his son. He had to take, he, that means he's less wealthy. It means that he's got to give up what he's worked hard for. He most likely had to sacrifice position. This cost the father the father lost a lot that day. He lost a part of himself and he lost his son. As I read this parable, it reminds me a lot of Genesis 3, of Adam and Eve as they are tempted like, to be like God and to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that they could become like God. Much like the son wanted to become like the father and get his inheritance, I, I'm reminded of Adam and Eve wanted to become like God. When they do, they are casted out of the garden and they experience the death that they chose and the separation that they chose. Just like in the garden, Adam and Eve wanted, had an identity issue. They couldn't just rest in their identity as children of God. They wanted to become like God. Just as the son lost his identity in being a child of the father, he wanted to become the father. Both experiencing death and separation out of the presence of the father. And how easy it is for us to, to succumb to the same temptations. In this physical earth, in this physical world, as we inherit the sin of Adam and Eve, in our flesh, this temptation to want more power, to become like God, our pride, the things that we want to invest in, that our earnings and what we can toil over, the control that we need in our own lives, even if, it's up to, even if, even if it means to reject the Father. I remember when I was a teenager, a freshman in high school, uh, my parents uh, were throwing a party, and my, uh, my dad had to run to the store to buy uh, some, uh, some quick supplies for the party. And so I said, Dad, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Let me go with you. So we go to this unnamed store, and, uh, and as we're going around the store, I was like, hey, Dad, I'll catch up with you like at the register. I'm going to go do my own thing. And he's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. What he didn't know is the reason why I wanted to do my own thing, the reason why I wanted to go to the stores, because I was in a season of my life where I was trying to get that five-finger discount. Um, that is, that's code for stealing. Um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, I was in a season of my life where I just, whatever I wanted from a store, I would take. And I would just put it in my pockets. I would just do whatever. And it became, I did it so often, it just became natural for me. 
And so I was with my dad, we're running this quick errand. I said, all right, dad, I'll catch up with you. And I just go around. It wasn't anything big. It was like, oh, I want that gum. I'll take that gum. I saw that deck of cards. Ooh, we play speed during recess. I'll take that. I don't know if they do recess in high school. A free period? Free period. <laughs> so I was like, I'll take that. Um, a pack of trading cards. I play Yu-Gi-Oh. Sure, I'll take that. I <laughs> put that in my pocket. Uh, and, uh, and so, and then I catch up with my dad. We're walking out of the store. All of a sudden, the hand gets put on my shoulder. And I turn around, and there's a man there. And he says, son, I'm going to need you to come with me. And, uh, and immediately, my dad turns to this stranger. My dad, who's 6'5", twice my size. And he says, uh, um, no, he won't. <laughs> and then the guy goes, okay, all right. <laughs> He goes, um, actually, your, your son, um, he took some of the items from the store. And my dad said, you've got the wrong kid. My son would never do that. And I remember feeling that small in that moment. That I'd crushed an image of my dad, that image that he put on me, the standard. So, of course, you know, we get, we, they pull me into this back room, make me empty my pockets and all these different things. And I'm like, no, oh, that's my gum. No, that's my deck of cards. But they knew. They had, like, video cameras or whatever and stuff. So then they call the cops. I get arrested. They take me down, uh, do the whole fingerprint thing, all of that. My dad has to now go to the, to the police station, pick me up, do all that stuff. I get court-mandated, uh, like, uh, service projects and all these different things. And everything, and then I have to get in the car with my dad, and we drive back to this party. And uh, we get to the party, and everyone's like, "Where were you?" And, and to be honest, I don't even remember like the excuse my dad gave up, gave, but like he didn't want to draw attention to it, so he was nice. He took the attention off me and everything, and I was just quiet, just like oh, in my shame and everything. Uh, what I didn't mention at the start of the story is that it was on Father's Day, and that's why we were having a par- party. I was so inside of my own head that I couldn't even, like, and, and my sin had become just so a part of, like, who I was that I couldn't even get out of my own brain to think of those around me. I, can't, I couldn't even get to a point to even think, how would this, how do these ramifications affect others? And in big ways and in small ways, because you're human, I know that you know this feeling where it's so easy for us to get caught up in our own selves that we forget our identity and our image in the Father. We forget how he has created us and what ought to be. We forget about our physical brothers and sisters, our family, our wives, our husbands, our children, and we can just easily live in ourselves and we can just make decisions off of our own flesh. It's easy to see how, this, how, the, how the younger son, the younger brother could get into a place where he just says, I want my inheritance and I don't want to wait anymore. I just want it, not, I just want it now. And, and, and maybe it was intentional. Maybe it wasn't that he would say, Dad, so much so I wish you were just dead. Just give it to me. But those were the ramifications of his request. The son chose death. In practicality, he knew he was dead to the father. You see this because after, his, after he received his inheritance, after he goes out and he squanders it and he spends it on, on fine wine, on fine dining and prostitutes, he goes broke. After spending his li- living on all of these things, he finds himself with nothing. Now, notice in the story, this isn't the moment when he runs out of his money that he returns to the father. 
No, his pride was too good. His pride was too great. He didn't turn in that moment once he had all those things and go, I'm broke. Maybe I need to go back to the source and maybe I can get more money from dad. No, his pride was too great. It wasn't until a famine hit the land that he had no money. He couldn't survive through the famine that he goes, I can do work. I was raised on a farm. So he goes out and he tries to find work. And there's a man who owns a farm and he's got pigs. And he says, you can tend to my pigs. And amidst the famine, amidst this guy's brokenness, he, 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 he gets, and he's looking at the slop. He's looking at the pods that these, that these pigs are eating out of. This Jewish man who's, who's now surrounded by pigs. It's a disgrace to his ethnicity, to all of his cleanliness laws. As he's, as he's feeding this, he's the lowest of the low. This guy wasn't just broke, he was broken. He sits and he looks and he looks at his life and he goes, you know who had it better? The people that are in the presence of my father. You know who had it better? Those who even served my dad. I know how good dad is. And it'd be better if I was just a broken servant in my father's house. In his brokenness, he comes up with a plan. Out of desperation in his mind, he knows that he's no longer a son to the father. So he can't return as a son but he can't because he has a debt. He has to, he's returning with a debt to be paid. We know that his plan is to come back as a, as a hired hand, right? So, oh, it'd be better if I came back as a hired hand. But we can't be confused that his intent is to come back for a job. This isn't like a job like when he went out and fed the pigs, that if he did a job, he would get earned a wage. He can't do that. Why? Because he owes a debt to the dad. So what he's saying is, I'm going to come back. If I go back to my dad, I can't come as a son. I can't come back for a job and ask him to pay me. But what I can do, because I have a debt that's owed, I can come back and I can work off my debt. I can go back to my dad and I can ask to become a slave on his farm. An indentured servant. This is the attitude and mindset of this broken son. We see the son return. The son was far in, from, in a far off land. So, and, and this isn't a time he couldn't just get on a plane and fly home, right? He couldn't order an Uber. He had to walk. So who knows how long that walk is. What we do know is he was rehearsing the plan when he was in the, in the pig field. And so he most likely was rehearsing that story in his head. Dad, against you have I sinned. Uh, I no longer have the right to be called your son. Uh, I want to come back as a hired hand. Uh, I can pay off my debts. Like, you know, he's just rehearsing. Anybody else rehearse your big, like, speeches or conversations you have to have beforehand? Okay, me? Okay, a few people. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay, if I say this, they might say that. So I'm going to say this. Ooh, that's good. Da, 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 da. Please, come on. And then you're like, you're fishing in the conversation for your rehearsed spots. You're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Right? <laughs> the son has a long walk ahead of him. So he's no doubt rehearsing and practicing, right? So the son is, is on this long journey. And he's replaying the conversation. And it says that while he was a far way off, his father spots him. His father sees him. It's interesting. How is it that the father saw him in a far off place? Was the father lucky? Like the father was just out doing work. And he said, what's that dark blob out there coming down my road? Is that, oh, that kind of has the figure of my son. Is, did he get lucky? Maybe, maybe. The, the, the scripture isn't clear on this, so there's a little bit of reading into it that's here, and I confess that. 
and everything? Or is it possible that, in, that the father was out every day in the field looking on the road that led to his farm, hoping and praying for his son's return? That he was expectant of the son's return? That when he saw the figure, he knew who it was because he expected who it was. Is it possible that the father was waiting for the son's return? Either way, the father hikes up his garments and he runs to his son. A a completely, as we see that this father consistently is breaking traditions because he gives the son that money and endures the insult. Now he's enduring an insult that one, the patriarch is running to his child. A patriarch does not do that. The child always comes like a servant to, to a master, to the father. And, not, and then also to, to, to hike up his garments and to run to bare his legs is a grave insult. Uh, it's, like, it's almost like you know when they started take, making the shift in bathing suits, like, whoa, what are you wearing? Like, that's what we're talking. It was, it was weird. It was awkward. People had to like, close their eyes because it would be disgraceful to see the, the master's legs. And so he pulls him up and he runs for his child. As he gets to his son, he tackles him into an embrace. And the son immediately begins his rehearsed speech. All he gets out basically is, dad, I'm sorry. Actually, I I take that back because he doesn't say dad. All he gets out is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's where the, fa- the, the father cuts him out. With any further words than just, I'm sorry, the father restores the son. If we were to look exactly where the son got to in his speech, look at the impact. Pull up verse 21. Verse 21, we see, and the son said to him, to the, to the father, I have sinned against you in heaven and in your sight. This is the I'm sorry. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, we know from the rehearsed speech that there was more. The plan to become a servant and all these things. All he gets to is, I'm sorry, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off immediately. And what does the father do in his action? He doesn't say, you're my son, don't worry, I love you. He says, somebody get me the finest robes. Somebody go and get the, the, the robes. You see, the father loves when we choose him now. The father loves when we choose him now. The father is waiting. The father is patient. The son's issue was always an issue of identity, of being a child. He wasn't living as a son. Rather, he desired to be the father. When he left, he officially gave up his identity as a child. But in his return, as he chose the father, the father restores his identity as a child. There's something beautiful in the son's return. As the father immediately cuts him off, give me the finest robe. Who, who has the finest robe in a master's house? The master, the father. So he's telling him, go get my robe and put it on my child. Go get what, the, what, what would be an inheritance and put it on him. Get him the signet ring. Bring him the family ring that bears our crest so that all the world can know that this is my child and he carries my name. That anywhere he goes, he has the stamp of approval to speak for my house. Get him sandals so that he doesn't have to be embarrassed to walk on the ground like a slave. Get him sandals for his feet. 
The father restores the son. There's something beautiful in the son's return. He had faith in the Christianese. We might say he had the faith of a mustard seed. He had the smallest amount of faith. He didn't come back with the thought of restoration. He said, I'm no longer worthy of being your child. He came back with just, I know dad is good. We see the small amount of faith. There's no declaration of theology. There's no declaration of A plus B equals C to salvation. There's only God is good and I need to be in his presence. And we see the father take it, that, that small little seed of things are better in the father's presence. And the father does the work of restoration. How easy is it for us to, to think just like the younger brother as we try and think, do I, can I go back to God? Can, to, can, am I even worthy of going back into his presence? How easy is it for us to think we have to do the work of restoration before we can enter into the presence of the father? No, I sin too gravely. If I just, if I just fix and tweak these little mistakes, I can show up to church. I, 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 God will accept me. He'll see the work that I've done. He'll know that I'm faithful and that I can do it. I'll prove that I'm worth another chance. How many times in our sin do we sin and we, we go, oh God, I hurt. I know that that was wrong. I know I shouldn't have done that. I know that like if I just went to him and said, I'm sorry, like maybe, maybe he would forgive me. Maybe he can help me. But I can't. I can't do it. No, I'm too ugly. I'm too disgraceful. God, there's no way he would even hear my words. I don't even think my words are worthy enough to get to his ears. Too many times we fall into the likeness of the younger brother to think, I can't. I, I don't have the ability to be restored. And yet what we see in the character of the father is that he does the work of restoration. It's the small amount of faith of just God is good. The Father is that good. The Father will take care. The Father will welcome me in. I can work my way, but no. God does the work of restoration. The older son, we get to uh, his life uh, because the father begins to throw this party, right, for the younger son. He was dead. Now he's alive. We're going to throw a party, get the fattened calf, bring everybody in town. Like, we're eating. We're celebrating tonight. And we get to the older son. For most purposes, the older son was good and righteous. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, right? He was a faithful, good son. He was faithful with his whole life to the father. But the interaction at the party reveals the intent of the son's heart from the very beginning. The older brother had an identity issue of his own. He wanted what the younger brother wanted as well. He just did it by a different tactic. While the younger brother took what he wanted on the front end, the older brother thought if he worked hard enough and if he was obedient enough that he would get what was owed to him on the back end. The older brother thought if he was righteous enough, he'd get what he was owed. His identity wasn't in the image of the father, rather it was in what the father had. Let's take a look. Let's revisit that passage and that story about the older son. In verse 25, now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back and safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. 
But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you. And I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We see the attitude and the heart stature of the older brother. We see the tone of the older brother from the very beginning. He refuses to go into the party. So daddy had to come out to him. We see once again the father go to the son. And the invitation from the very beginning wasn't a, this, this, the father didn't see him as not his son, even though he's in his rebellion. He pleaded with him to what? To go into the party. When the father came out and approached the son, he said, come home. Come home. It's not that big of a deal. I know that you're angry. I know that you're angry. I know that this is tough. But can you see that your, fa- that, your, that your brother came home? Just come with me. Come with me back into the home. Come be with your family. But the son replies, look. Now, this is the equivalent in our culture to telling, to telling the father, shut up. As the father's amidst his pleading, the older brother makes a stance. And he says, shut up and listen to me. Look here. Do you see what your son did? What your son did? His identity is in what he has done and what he believes he is owed. This brought him to, to the forefront because he was seeing his brother get all of these things and receiving such high praise. It makes sense that the older brother would get angry. But the rage comes from his entitlement. And it's focused at the dad and the brother. He uses the the words, but this son of yours. He can't even come to a place to say my brother. It's like, no, he, he chose otherwise. He's dead to us, dad. That is not my brother that is there. You might say that he's a child of yours. You might say that your son returned, but he's dead to us. He's dead to me. He was so entitled, so blinded by his anger and rage that the brother could not even acknowledge him. He says, look at what I have done for you. Because of his righteousness, the brother viewed himself worthy of the judgment seat. He thought that he had the right to become the dad in that moment. Shut up. I'm talking now. You sit down and listen to me. He took the position of the father scolding a child back to his entitlement. I have earned the right to judge him. How easy it is for us to do the same, isn't it? I've been faithful with God for this many years. Why is that person getting a blessing when I'm over here fighting? And I'm striving, why is, why, why is this happening to my children? I have been serving the house of God faithfully. Why am I having to go through these work struggles when I have been serving God faithfully? 
We see it happen, this, this entitlement happen in all courses in our lives. We see it happen in politics. Well, if you're a true Christian, you would think with this party. But if you're a true Christian, you'd think with this party. And, uh, no, I know I'm faithful. So this, this is the only way to think. We see it in race and ethnicity inside of the conflicts of, of how our, our political system is, is, is built to how communities are, are potted against one another or how do we even have reconciliation. No, I know the right way. That's the devil's way. We see it in, in religions, even in our own faith. Oh, man, that denomination is a bad denomination. I don't even know if I could call them Christian. I'm the faithful older brother. I know what's right. I can cast the judgment. Amidst the tantrum, the father is patient. He endures the insults. The father has every right to cast the son out for his disobedience, but he endures. Father has every right to say, you want to be angry at me? Fine. That brother that came home, he's now the inheritor. Bye. Father has every right, but he endures. And with quick, simple words, he offers restoration and perspective to the son's eyes. He says, you, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. See, the father loves when we choose him daily. It's not about what we get from the father. It's the fact that we get the father. The father says those words to indicate to his son, if you understood this, if you understood that it was about me, if you understood that it was about choosing me, that I was with you this whole time, if you understood this, then you'd join me in celebrating your son or your brother. You would join me in celebrating your brother. I'm reminded of the context that we find this parable that, that of, the, of the two brothers, the prodigal son. Pastor Jared preached on it last week with the, the first parable of the three that was about the lost sheep. Where, and at the very end, it makes clear. Uh, in Luke 15, 7, it says, I tell you, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. I want to draw something out for you right here. It's about God. Like the Father loves when we choose him now. The Father loves when we choose him daily. Look at this passage as it says, there is joy for the sinner who repents over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. This passage, this, this clarification that Jesus says, he does not say that the, that the one sinner is greater than the 99 righteous, the righteous who do not need repentance. Because if you were truly righteous, you would see the need of Repentance. You would, you would see the need of realigning your heart, your mind to God's heart and mind. The issue here is the older son didn't see a need for repentance. He didn't, he didn't see his arrogance and faith in his own righteousness as a sin against the father. He missed his identity as a child for what he could get, even when it was resurrected in his brother. As I stated from the beginning, it's important for us not to just walk away understanding more about the sons because their stories, though important, are told to reveal to us the character of the father. Even when we choose ourselves, he chooses us. Even when we choose ourselves, he chooses us. Both these sons went away from the father, 
Both these sons had their sin. Both these sons went away, but the father remained consistent. Uh, like, look at, look at this as we look at this, uh, uh, this little graphic here. With the sons, with the younger brother, we see the son of entitlement drove him to think he could request his inheritance from the father. But the father re- responded sacrificially to the son. When the younger brother came to the father and asked for his, for, his, for his inheritance, the father could have disowned the son. He had every right to say, you wish me dead, well, I disown you. But instead, the father replies, I will die so that you may live. The father responds similarly with the older brother. He had every right to say, you think my judgment unfair? I disown you. Instead, he was patient. And we see this happen with the younger brother too, with his patience. As the younger brother, as the younger son squandered and lived his life, the father waited patiently. As much as the son rehearsed his speech for the long walk back home, the father meditated on what he'd say if the son ever returned. The father's patience allowed him to be sacrificial in the midst of confrontation and allowed him to act in grace upon the child's return. In both confrontations with his sons, the father had one goal, to restore the child. Why? Because the father's desire is to have a relationship with his boy. The the father's desire is to have a relationship with his little girl. He just wants to be chosen. He wants to be chosen now and he wants to be chosen daily. The invitation is simple. Come home. Come back home. Whether you find yourself in a far off land, so far from the image of the Father, and you don't know the path, you don't know where to go, the invitation is simple, come home, come back. Whether you find yourself in the midst and around the community, on the, on the edges of the house, and you're fighting and you're trying to do what's right, and you're trying to build to your own righteousness, the, the, the invitation is simple. Step out of your pride and come home. Come home. So how do we choose? The word is repent. Turn towards God. And we don't repent just, because, just in response of sin. He wants to be chosen now and he wants to be chosen daily. If, it was, if we only repented because we sinned and we were repenting for that specific sin, we'd fall into the trap of moralism. That I only, I only repent when I do something wrong. That's, that's the sin of the older brother. Instead, we repent daily to align our hearts with the Father's heart. I've shared this quote before, and I'd love to share it again because it's one of my favorites by my favorite author. Repentance is not what we do in order to earn forgiveness. It's what we do because we have been forgiven. It it serves as an expression of gratitude rather than an effort to earn forgiveness. Wherever you're at in your walk, no matter where you were, yesterday, today, and where you find yourself now, far off, nearby, the invitation is simple. Repent. Be grateful for who he is. Be grateful to the Father and come home. The Father loves when we choose him now. The Father loves when we choose him daily. So how can we do this? I got a small phrase that I use a lot, and it's just simple. Sin small, confess small. Sin small, confess small. Be quick to confess and give your heart over to the Lord. If you feel your heart veering, whether it's in an action, whether it's in an attitude, whether it's just the direction of your sight, 
Sin small, confess small. Get your heart back right with God and live a life consistently choosing him, always walking to the Father, always resting in his home, always resting in his presence because the Father loves when we choose him. Let us choose the Father. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Father, I thank you that you are patient. Father, we thank you that you are sacrificial. God, we thank you that you do the restoration, that you do the work. It is just a simple act to come home, to choose you and to trust in your restoration. God, I pray for every person here, that turn, that choosing can be scary. It can be difficult. That choosing can seem mysterious. I don't even know the road. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you meet every person, no matter their level of where they feel that they're at this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet every person in this room, in this moment right now. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would turn our hearts to you. Turn our hearts to you that we would have trust in the goodness of the Father. Take us back home. Take us into your presence. God, I pray for your restoration for every person. You are good.